So if you have someone that has an idea, they're not a serial inventor, they're not doing this as a career, but they have a really good idea, what do they do with it? First thing they should do is they should really do their research to make sure there isn't something similar on the market. Far more than anything else, people come to me with ideas that exist already. Rain Podcast. Hi, I'm Nova Lorraine, fashion designer, brand advisor, and founder of Rain Magazine. Welcome to our award-nominated Unleash Your Supernova podcast, storytelling at its best. Discover and learn from the gutsiest creative entrepreneurs from around the globe. Listen for new secrets and hacks to increase your mindfulness, creativity, and entrepreneurial spirit, all to help you unleash your superpowers. I'm so excited to welcome our guest, Matt Nusio. Matt is the president of Design Edge, a toy and game development and licensing agency whose clients include Mattel, Hasbro, Spin Master, and Fisher-Price, to name a few. For years, Matt has co-chaired the Toy Association, representing all designers and inventors within the toy industry. Matt sits on the board of the United Inventors Association of America to educate and advocate for all types of inventors. Matt writes a column in Toy Family Entertainment Magazine, and Design Edge's products have been nominated for and have also won many industry awards, including Toy of the Year, Toy and Game Innovators, Games 100, and many more. Matt was honored by the NSA as an American innovator and was listed as one of the top 100 most influential people in the toy industry today. For two years straight, Matt has received this nomination. Welcome, Matt. Hey, how you doing? I am good, although that's uh. Can't say I'm liking this weather outside with the rain and the wind and the gloominess, but I'm doing good. See, I would think you would like rain. Oh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yes, let it rain. <laughs> rain is good. I, I get it. The trees are really happy and what it does in terms of our magazine <laughs> but I'm definitely a sunshine girl at heart. And it doesn't help that I was born in Jamaica. So that's never gone away. So I <laughs> crave the sun. <laughs> right. I'll assume that Jamaica, the islands, and not Jamaica, Queens, because there's not much sun in Jamaica, Queens this time of year. Yeah, no, we're talking about yeah the real deal. Yeah. The West <laughs> Indies, Jamaica, the island. That's right. <laughs> so I am so excited to have you on the show. I'm definitely a kid at heart grew up playing games. I have four brothers and a sister. So there were six of us <laughs> growing up. And it was an era before in-home video games and smartphones, et cetera, et cetera. So games were a big part of my life as a child. I was an athlete throughout school, college, and you know, still try to stay fit. So just in that sense, competitive sports, getting that expression out through that outlet. And then as a mother of four, family of six, games are a big part of our lives as well. So I'm just excited to hear more about your story. How in the world did you get to this point of running a company that services so many incredible brands, toys, and games, and then also being an educator and an advocate for inventors? I just can't wait to dig in. I have two sons, two out of four of my kids are boys and they're extremely inventive. My husband is extremely inventive 
and I come up with a few little ideas here and there. So I also want to know about the process that an inventor can go through to successfully bring their ideas to fruition. So I'm going to close my mouth (laughs) and let you do some of the talking. Tell me your earliest story of entering into the toy industry. Jeez. Well, I grew up in the toy industry. My father started in the toy business before I was born in 1969, working at Ideal Toys. Then he was at Aurora. Then he got headhunted and brought into a company called HG Toys. He was there like a couple of weeks before he found out they were actually running negative and in trouble. Mm. And then uh, my father being your classic Brooklyn hot-headed Sicilian, he was like, oh, no, not, not while I'm here. I'm about to have my second kid, which was me. And then mm-hmm. he went in there and pretty much with both guns ablazing, they told the owners everything that they were doing wrong without any filters, because that's my father, if you ever meet him, <laughs> and told them what they needed to do right. They believed in him. They gave him carte blanche. And then he developed some you know, very successful lines. And they went from almost going out of business to at one point becoming the 17th largest toy company in the country. Wow. About 1984, they're doing about $117 million a year. Wow, nice. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, things were going strong. My father was promised the presidency of the company. But in between that and a few other things, the owners of the company decided to buy some real estate in New Jersey to set up a, a large facility to, to help expand. But they didn't do their due diligence. And Procter & Gamble was up the road paying more than twice what they were offering sort of submarine them pretty quick. They got uh, bought out by a company in Chicago called Superior Toys. My father was like, oh no, I'm not going to, I'm not moving to Chicago. And he started mm. Design Edge out of the garage with my mother in 1987. I was 14 years old and drafted wow. from day one. Drafted from day one. <laughs> yes. Wow. So you're a young teen and your father decided to take the chance and go out on his own and in the garage, not the yeah. living room, the <laughs> in the garage. And your mom, what a brave soul as well to join him on this journey. So as a teenager, looking back, were you scared? Were you excited? I mean, what was, oh no, dad doesn't have a job. He's did you even understand the concept of having your own business? What was if you can remember? Take me back to that point. I remember pretty clearly, actually, because, I mean, I always liked going to HG Toys. I was in love with the toy business since the time I was able to realize what my father did. In fact, I can remember going to kindergarten and some kids would be like, you know, my dad's a fireman, my dad's a cop. Some kid would be like, my dad's an astronaut. And I'd be like, my dad makes toys. And they'd all be like, (gasps) bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Only the elves make toys. <laughs> right, right. Meanwhile, the kid whose dad was an astronaut wasn't an astronaut at all. In fact, he was an alcoholic. But the, <laughs> oh gosh, you know, oh, gosh. You know, everyone believed him. But you know, I was the liar. You know. Wait, wait, wait. At least they both started with A. Okay, right, so right. he was on the right, right track at least. And then, uh, you know, even as as a kid, I was pitching toy concepts. In fact, wow. I'm sure people Google me; they'll find this because at this point, it's, it's part of the. Design Edge folklore, but it roughly in the, in the early 80s sometime, I was mm-hmm. like most kids in the New York area obsessed with, you know, those Kung Fu theater shows that they'd have on like, you know, at like three o'clock in the afternoon. On oh, WCL. yeah. You know, oh, the ones yeah. that were dubbed over. They were, oh, yeah. I yeah. was a big fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> so I used to watch those. And then there was one particular one that had some ninjas in it. And I was like, oh, cool. I like these characters. 
and I drew some pictures of some ninjas, and then I sculpted one out of clay, and I brought it to my father. And believe it or not, at this point, there is not one single ninja toy in existence in the toy business. And really, she developed an entire line of toys based on ninjas, and then it was too big for them to even carry. And they had, at the time, CBS, which is the CBS, like you know, broadcasting, had a toy company. And TBS came in and bought the rights out for it. And uh, to this day, a lot of the older toy guys still call me, even though I'm in my mid-40s, they call me the, the ninja kid. That is so cool. Yeah, for identifying the, the trend before it came. And, and, you know, just my luck, one of the biggest things I'm part of uh, made zero money. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, thanks. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like one of the biggest companies in the country buys the license to your idea. <laughs> it is crazy. I can look back though, and in then in the HG catalogs, there's there's pages and pages and pages of the, of it when it was launched. It was a, it was a big deal at the time. That's amazing. And I, you know, going back to your story <laughs> in your early childhood, having a parent, you know, maybe dad or mom that was a toy maker, a toy inventor. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. That was like having Santa Claus like all year round. Like, what are you talking about? Of course you were lying, right? Oh my gosh. No, that is pretty incredible. And to also have fallen in love with the industry at such an early age. Sort of finish your question, because I did go Mm -hmm. a bit of a tangent there. When HG Toys started looking grim, Mm -hmm. 13, 14 years old at the time, Mm-hmm. I could I could tell, you know, I, I could sense the the the, the trouble, mm. you know. And then and then my father he um, first he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. He took a sabbatical. So I remember him taking a sabbatical. I remember my parents talking to me that like the upcoming school year, like you know, I'd have to find a job or or figure out ways to get my own school clothes. I remember that being like a like a what? Mm, I got wow. to get my own school clothes. I want <laughs> How's this going to happen? <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know? And I ended yeah. up getting I had a well, I was 14 actually. I remember this. I had to go to to the school and get working papers so I could get a job at McDonald's, which didn't pan out very well by the way. I, mean, I, <laughs> I really had the manager of the store chase me around one day and then into traffic, but that's a whole other story. Oh, okay, yeah, well we yeah. have to revisit that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was I was nervous. I was like, "Oh man, like I, I don't know what to do." And the next thing you know, we're like we're, we're emptying the garage and then we're we're reconfiguring it and, and making it so it could work as a design studio, you know, and, and yeah. bringing in this is old school too, pre-computers like flat files and Mm. And and you know all these different racks were holding all different types of papers and you know then and you know hundreds and hundreds of markers and colored pencils and pro white and then register tape and all I'd come home from school and then uh, I would be immediately sucked into the to the studio to help work on stuff and usually it was the not so fun stuff it was laying down register tape which you know thank God you don't have to do anymore but you know as a thirteen right. year old as a fourteen year old boy trying to line two pieces of crosshairs up over on acetate <laughs> over the board, you know, it was the slightest bit off and the whole design's a mess. It was, it was nerve wracking. Mm. But I, but I learned a lot of the old school techniques really early. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, I think they're valuable. Like I can't, I, I can, I can do things that, you know, most guys my age who've been doing this a long time. And I think it's because I just know, you know, some of these filters, I know what process they're trying to imitate. So I know the origin of that process. It gave me a big advantage. But yes, it was nerve-wracking, though. I didn't know what was to come. 
Yeah, you were thrown smack into the bullseye of life as an entrepreneur <laughs> by default. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as an active bystander. And yeah, no, it is it's interesting how your parents had you step up to the plate and say, Hey, you know, we're doing this and this is your contribution. This is what you how you're gonna help. And I love that. And the fact that you have grown to now run this very successful company. And I'm sure having not only fallen in love with the industry at a young age, but then also working within the industry, you know, starting as a teenager, your insight and wisdom and passion probably is hard to rival. So I'm not surprised by all the accolades you have. And so congratulations again to all of that. Thank you. As you noticed, you pointed out, I mean, I volunteer on quite a few boards to help, you know, inventors get to market or to learn the ropes. And mm-hmm. I think a big chunk of that is, this comes from the fact that I had so many mentors. Okay. Like, you know, just coming in at a young age, it's surprising mm-hmm. how many guys and women were willing to, you know, help me and give me honest advice. Because I was, I guess, you know, I'm young. I'm not threatening to them. They weren't worried about losing right. the job to me. And mm-hmm. there, you know, I, there I am. I'm, I'm Mark Nuccio's son. So let's see what we can do to, to help. I got okay. some valuable advice for some guys who, you know, at the time are bigwigs. And some of those guys went on to be, you know, the heads of industry. And, and I grew along with them. So that's the craziest part. You know, those guys that I remember who were, you know, at one point just, you know, average guy on the, at, a, at a medium-sized toy company, who's, you know, maybe a product manager. And here I am, you know, 20 years later, and they're CEO of, uh, you know, a billion-dollar corporation. Incredible. Well, let's yeah. let's touch on that for a second. So you said you had the advantage of having these mentors around you, giving you some advice. Can you share some of that, maybe two or three pieces of wisdom that you remember from back sure. then that it's really helped you or stayed with you? The little things that you wouldn't think much of. I learned to listen to common sense, mostly. Mm, okay. If you sit back and you were to write write out how a meeting should go, you would write it and you would think that, okay, it does this, this, and that. And, you know, if someone says this, I'm going to react with that. But what you forget is that emotion gets involved. And oftentimes when people are discussing concepts or, or developing stuff, they're very quick to be defensive. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you need to learn quickly how to just take it in, absorb it and listen and really just hone in on what is being said and take that to the next level. You know, that, that was taught to me over time by many people, but it's one of those things like I can tell you and you're like, yeah, no problem. But I guarantee you, if I put you in the seat and I tell you that your product that you've been working on for a year, which is your baby, and I tell you your baby is ugly, you're going <laughs> to be cool. Yeah. yeah, no, that's, that is very valuable advice. So listening, using common sense, not letting emotion get in the way. No, those yeah, are really good points. Learning about the importance of margin and also learning that, you know, a good invention is not just a great idea, but it's also it has to be designed right so that the price points meet and that the product still works. And, you know, there's just all these, these little these little things that I learned from many different facets of the toy industry that, you know, usually if someone's an inventor, they're just inventing, you know, but Design Edge, we design, we engineer, we develop, we manufacture. So, you know, I had to learn how to wear many hats. And I learned also like why a product doesn't work at different levels. And inventors mm-hmm. generally don't have that access to understand like, well, you know, my idea is great, but you know what? If it costs 
you know, the ridiculous amount to build the tooling on your idea, it's going to get passed on and you may never know that. Let's talk about that a little bit. You mentioned the inventor, the toy maker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my son at a young age wanted to be an inventor and he's 21 now and he was in elementary school at the time and he would sketch out these really cool things. And one of the things I remember are these rocket boots because he wanted to fly. <laughs> and, I'll and yeah, he was like way ahead of Iron Man, um, <laughs> at least the movie, but there was no clear path, you know? And so he shifted gears and, you know, in uh, middle school and high school and started focusing on other things, but at heart, he is an inventor. And I, and I want to know for those that are listening, if, they have that dream if they're extremely creative or they love toys or games. What is the process? How do you go from, oh, I have this great idea or, oh, I want to make this, you know, for the rest of my life, I just want to make things. Can you take me through that process? What can they know to help them take them from the idea to actually getting on the shelf of of a company or of a store somewhere? Well, let's just assume that this person wants to be a professional inventor, right? Mm-hmm. More often than not, the people who have successes, it's not their first invention. You know, they're, they're professional serial inventors who hone their craft like anything else, right? You know, oftentimes people have one idea and they get behind it and they put every little bit behind that idea, but they don't bother to learn how to take the process in which they're using and implement it towards other ideas. I think mm. you need to really just spread it out, try inventing multiple things and then seeing how these processes that you're developing, how they work and how they fail and taking note of how they fail. Uh, Also become a student of that particular industry that you're focusing on. You know, in our case, Mm. it's toys. And then find a segment of that business, sub-focus, because uh, there's a very different discipline to creating doll mechanisms than there is to making game engines. And then as there is, Mm -hmm. you know, doing cut and sew. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the more you focus on that, the better. It's, Kim, I guess, to being a, a musician, right? It's amazing how, you know, everyone gets that you can't just sit down at a piano and write a concerto, right? But for some reason, <laughs> they think that, you know, they're going to invent the next great thing because in the middle of the night, they woke up and, and had to do two things, write down their idea and then go pee, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Right. So... It's a discipline. It, it is. And it, that mm, shouldn't be ignored. Right. If, if you want to be an inventor, put the time in, you know? So to start, would you say there's any particular areas of study you should be looking at? And, you know, obviously you need a J job of some sort to support yourself until the ideas are, are brought to life or are making revenue. Do you have any thoughts during those stages? Yes, no, the toy industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. You can get a job in the toy industry if that's what you mm, want to do. You can okay. study. You can, you can be a major in toy design. Oh. FIT has toy design major and has had it for over 20-something years, maybe close to 30. There's Otis out in uh, Los Angeles also has a toy design ah, program. Okay. And there are people popping up, and then there are major schools that have, you know, maybe not the whole program, but they have programs that focus on it. Then that's toy design. Inventing and toy design are not necessarily part and parcel, but if you know how to design a toy and you have an idea, that's a big leg up. That's true. Good pieces of information. 
I wouldn't have thought about that. And I went to FIT and I had no idea they had a toy design program. Yeah. And that's probably because I was completely obsessed with fashion and that's all I get around at the time. Right. Well, no, I went to FIT too. And, you know, design majors that weren't fashion design majors would sit on the stoops. Now, this is the 90s, right? So I'd sit on the stoop yeah. in my oversized Janko jeans and wool hat, like chain smoking cigarettes, looking like a complete homeless guy as like all the fashion majors walk by as if they're walking the runway. <laughs> That's right. Every day, every day was a runway. Okay. <laughs> oh man, I love it. <laughs> Tell me if you could give advice to yourself five years ago, based on what you know now, what would that be? I give myself advice five years ago, based on what I know now, what would that mm-hmm. be? Wow. Mm-hmm. Have a week. Dave, the entire question to buy time. <laughs> what would I do? That, that's a good question. You know, sometimes if I have some successes, I, I start to put too many eggs in one basket. I think I would advise myself to always make sure I don't put all my eggs together. Mm, okay. I like that. Uh, is there a story you want to share around that? There's plenty of stories, but I'm not going to share those on, <laughs> on, a, on a big platform. Um, and not necessarily that they're all bad, bad things, but I think you're ignoring other relationships too. So mm. you can be fostering one and be like, you know, this is great. But, you know, when you're an inventor, you really have to be able to get a big portfolio of stuff. And it's got to be in many, many different areas and you should be working with different companies. It also gives you a better sense of, of, of how the economics of it work too. So if you're getting royalty mm. from several companies and you notice that this company is deducting that and that one's not and vice versa. Or they're selling the same quantities at the same price, but this guy's royalty is calculating this and that guy's is that. You know, you need those comparisons, you know, because there is no true handbook to calculating that. And that's, mm, that's, that's the main part about inventing. It's it's oftentimes new inventors come to me and they're like, you know, uh, what's the royalty rate? And I'm like, uh, does it matter? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, because this guy's offering 10%. And if you're only, this other guy's only offering five, you know, I don't want to go with him. I'm like, it's 10% and 5% of what? How are you defining that net gross? You know, is mm. grandma on the books for $5 billion? You'll make mm. nothing, you know? Interesting, yeah. It's all That's about definitions. Because I can give you a contract and give you 20% and you'll be, you'll think you just had the greatest day of your life. And then I can make sure you make less than what should be 1%. <laughs> it's just. Ah, oh, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, you know. Ah, okay, that's good. I hope you guys are listening out there. Some really good business advice here that you could apply to anything. Okay, so I mean, and yeah, then other industries, these these things have happened. This 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 isn't you know, it got so bad in the music industry. That's where you know our ASCAP and all that had to come about, right, to protect these yeah, the rights of these people. You know, but you know the toy industry isn't as regulated. There's not the wide breadth of of, of creatives in, in in this industry as there are in like say music and acting. That mm, that's a good point. Yeah. Which means I'm always opportunistic, which means listeners, if you're paying attention, there's huge opportunities in the toy industry. <laughs> so I took that up. Yeah. No, that's very cool. And all facets, right? Not just the product itself, but throughout, you know, the various areas within that particular industry. I want to get to the games and toys a little bit, because I remember growing up as a kid, one of my, my strongest memories was the craziness that surrounded the Cabbage Patch dolls. I mean, just genius in terms of that creation, that invention and the hype around it. As a mother, it was Tickle Me Elmo. 
And that was the only thing that I could remember that had created that in store. I'm going to tackle you to get the last toy, (laughs) you know, you know, frenzy that was in the market around, especially around Christmas time. Since you grew up in the industry and worked in the industry, I want to hear just some tales around those two products. And then I just want to touch on what lies ahead. Sure. Well, I can definitely tell tales about both of those products. We'll start with Cabbage Patch, right? So yes, Cabbage Patch, a huge craze, circa 1983. HG Toys, my father was working with, had the license to do like dress-up sets and tea sets and all that sort of stuff with them and worked with Xavier Roberts, who is the creator of Cabbage Patch. And and that at the height of the Cabbage Patch craze, when that was blowing up, we managed to get a handful of original dolls from Coleco, who was making it, all double-signed. You know, So me and my sisters, we got those, and we still have them which was wow. great. <laughs> Cha-ching! But <laughs> <laughs> years later, fast forward to, I'd say, three years ago, maybe four years ago, we also, you know, because the toy industry is all butts up against the entertainment industry, I often find myself working with, you know, movie producers and directors and, and then sometimes movie stars, but that's a whole other podcast. So a big movie producer has done a, a lot of, a lot of big stuff, a lot of stuff with Will Smith. I, I'm not going to get too far into it, but um, they came to me and they're like, Matt, we want to do a Cabbage Patch Kids movie. So I was like, all right, let me see if I can get a meeting with Xavier Roberts. So we flew down to Atlanta and then drove out into rural Georgia where he has his his Cabbage Patch Kids. I'm not even sure what he calls it. It's a nursery. It's a giant facility. It's nice. It's beautiful. It's uh, It's got a giant nursery in it and there's all... All you know, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of dolls, but actually you can't call them dolls because he calls them, he doesn't you're not allowed to call them dolls. They're they're babies. <laughs> okay. And then we we met with with him and his whole team and tried to negotiate a movie deal and uh, it never came through. But we had some really big names, some really big names connected to it. I was actually shocked wow. he didn't he didn't do it. I would have wow. signed on that contract in a heartbeat. It was a oh was my a gosh, major, could you imagine movie uh, with with major like a-list stars and then uh, some some of the stars involved were like some of my childhood heroes too i was like oh, like do i get to be him or do I get yes yeah but but he passed but he's also notorious to be uh i don't know if notorious is the right word but he's very protective and i'm sure we probably weren't the first people in his life to come and try to make a deal with him and he's trying to right. protect his brand so yeah i can understand that yeah I can, so I, I do respect xavier and if for any reason he hears this, uh, you know, thank you for you know giving me a wonderful time when, when we visited because they were very nice and took a lot of pictures and fed us well. You know, Southern charm, <laughs> that's for sure. So that's my Cabbage Patch Kids story. And then you know, Tickle Me Elmo. I'm I don't know 18, 19 years old at the time, and that was done initially by Tyco, mm-hmm. who had the Sesame Street license. And that product, before it really came anywhere, came through Design Edge. Oh, the inventor wow. had created the mechanisms or whatever and, and had the idea for the product. And then Tycho brought it to us to just do some studies on it. And I was just you know, sitting at a drafting table, not in the garage at that point, but at our second office. Okay. You know, doing rough marker renderings and helping my mother trace stuff off and do wow. variations <laughs> and stuff. And it just seemed like another product. And then, you know, with, with, you know, about 18 months later, you know, it was everywhere. And I was like, ah, cool. And I was like, ah, <laughs> I've all those marker renderings. Great. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And before we get into the future of toys, 
and what's happening now. Um, I just want to touch on the comment you made about, you know, your position allows you to interact with some really well-known people and producers, childhood superheroes, you're traveling, you know, all over. Just give me a, a little more detail on the day in the life of a toy maker, toy inventor. Just take me through that for those that are interested. Sure. Well, it's a good qual. You know, it can be as mundane as everybody else's jobs, I guess, right? You know, certain days. But then there's other days when you find yourself in some celebrity's hotel room and the celebrity pitching you their horrible toy idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're just like, oh, now how do I ask this guy for free tickets to his movie? <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, um, yeah, but I've also had some, there's been some very successful ones. And as I started taking over Design Edge, actually, we started working, like one of my actually more funnier stories is that, uh, not funnier stories, but more successful celebrity connections is just working on those Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon with, with those guys. That was, uh, oh. that was, that was pretty cool. You know, it was just like, you know, three guys out of college and they had teamed up with a company called Endless Games and we met them around that time that. The book was taking off because it was a believe it or not that was a that was a New York Times bestseller. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon, really? And Kevin wow. Bacon uh-huh. hated it. Hated <laughs> it. He was so upset. He thought he was being oh, made fun of. He wouldn't oh. give us time of day. Really wow. thought he was being mocked. Years later, it finally when he just had to start accepting it, right? Because it just became synonymous with him. He invited us to go to his one man play in uh, Manhattan mm. and gave us uh, front row seats. And uh, wow. it was great until one of the guys that we came with brought his girlfriend who was hammered and fell asleep in the middle of the one-man play and then oh, was snoring no. so loud. It was uh, <laughs> oh, so humiliating. And Kevin Bacon's just staring at us. And we're like, of course, this we, we can't win. We can't win with him. Oh, and, then, uh, and then we went into his dressing room after the show and one of the girls knocked over his cactus and it broke in half. Uh, well, yeah, yikes. Yeah. yeah, from bad to worse. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so one of the things that, uh, you know, I had learned, a little birdie told me that most people wouldn't realize how much travel is involved in what you do in your industry as a, as a toy designer, inventor, toy maker. How much travel do you do? Like how, how much of a jet set in life do you have? Because most people think about that with fashion or music, you know, maybe even a blogger. But what is your comment to that? Well, yeah, well the toy industry is a fashion-based industry. It's global. Right now, currently is the longest I have not been anywhere. But if you're listening to this in the future, we're in the height of the corona quarantine. So, yep. but normally I'm on a plane at least twice a month going all over the world, you know, Tokyo, mm. Hong Kong, right before Corona, I was in Nuremberg, wow. uh, Germany, Singapore, Israel, Jordan. I once wrote it out and it was over, th- I, I lost track over 30 countries and all for work. Mm. Lots of mile rewards. Is that what I'm taking yeah. that? Yeah. When you find yourself <laughs> in Johannesburg going like, how the heck did I end up here? that's incredible and and you know i did not know that the toy industry went hand in hand with the fashion industry which makes complete sense it's just one of those things you don't think about you you have your games you have your toys and you know we kind of take it for granted that they're there 
but how they actually come to life and what's involved behind the scenes. You know, most people don't get insight in. I remember um, as a fashion designer at FIT, one of the designers that was up and coming, FIT grad and just phenomenally talented was Byron Lars. And mm-hmm. some years later, he, you know, made a deal, I believe, with Mattel. I just remember seeing his fashions on Barbie dolls. And I was just blown away because he had the most incredible designs. And I was like, oh, you could do that as a designer, you know, as a fashion designer, you could team up with a toy company and blew my mind. So again, it's just really enlightening to find out about that. And so even as someone that's interested in fashion, you know, that's something to think about too, and how the two work so closely together. Well, people definitely get how big the fashion industry is for some reason, but it, it's amazing how small people think the toy industry is. I swear I've had to convince people that, no, I am not painting wagon wheels because Christmas is a month <laughs> You know, they're always like, oh, you must be so busy. Christmas is in three weeks. I'm like, I'm not making toys right now for Christmas. Right. You know. It's, it's You're ridiculous. not in your garage literally hammering yeah. out, yeah. you know, the last yeah. wooden wheel. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's the cute, naive ones. And then I get the other people like, oh, you make toys? What kind of toys? And I'm always like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and I get that a lot. Like, a lot. Really? Like, Come on. Yeah. And their face always looks like they thought of that themselves. Like, oh, my God, this is so funny. I'm original. <laughs> They're so proud of themselves they came up with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Let's talk about the future of toys because I was really pleasantly surprised to see the coloring books everywhere, these incredibly detailed graphic designs and patterns and prints, especially for adults. I was like, oh, and I was just like buying them for everyone. (laughs) I loved coloring as a kid. And I know, you know, having started in the psychology space, studying psychology before going into fashion. I know the therapeutic effects that something that simple, you know, would have on someone and how it could lower stress. Yeah, you know, the the toy industry is not just for children anymore. It's all over the place. You know, the, the look at the amazing growth of, of, of games and puzzles in the last few years. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's party games, it's 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 strategy games, it's crazy, it's grown so much. And, you know, as we speak. This this quarantine has only made it that much bigger. Some mm, of these games and true. puzzle companies are reporting growth of three hundred to five hundred percent. What? Yeah, it's it's crazy wow. because everyone's at home and they're you know for years we've been converting the, the adults to play party games. You know that's been going on, but I think this this epidemic the the, the bright side is that you know people that probably were like I'm not going to play a game who have now not been able to leave their house for ninety days. And finally be convinced to play games and they end up loving it. We're converting a lot more adults into, you know, into loving the toy and game business. Wow. I'm having a hard time stopping this interview. I'm just gonna have to ask you one more question. <laughs> no, it's, I'm going longer than I normally do. So for someone like my son, I have a 14 year old, just turned 14. And he came up with this really cool card game. He drew it out. He came up with the rules. He created the cards, and then we actually played to test the game. So if you have someone that has an idea, they're not a serial inventor, they're not doing this as a career, but they have a really good idea, what do they do with it? Sure. Well, the first thing they should do is they should really 
do their research to make sure there isn't something similar on the market. That's step one. Far more than anything else, people come to me with you know, ideas that exist already. But let's say you can't find anything that exists. Then from there, you know, make a decent prototype, really test it, you know, play it with a bunch of people and, you know, write out the instructions. And when you write out the instructions, make sure you're programming somebody. You're not just writing a nice short story. You're explaining to them as most concise way that you can everything that they need to do play the game. Then you hand your prototype with the instructions to people to play and you do not chime in. You do not say a word. You do not explain to them how to play the game. You watch them play and if they're screwing something up, that means you screwed up somewhere in the instructions. And Mm. that may be to your benefit because you might actually learn something. They might do something that was unexpected that actually makes the game better. You can now add that to your instructions. Or you might find out that it's, you know, really screwing up the whole game and needs to be ironed out. Once you have your instructions down perfectly and people are able to play it and, most importantly, are enjoying it and having fun, you know you have a game. Mm. You can either contact toy companies on their websites or you can find a toy broker that can run around and pitch your item to toy companies. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Thank you. As you can see, I'm having a hard time (laughs) ending our interview. I love toys. I love games. I love what it does to our souls. I love how it brings people together. I love how it inspires creativity. And so it was such a pleasure talking to you today, getting all of this wonderful information about the toy industry, hearing your stories. I'm so impressed by all that you're doing. Please continue to inspire and enrich lives through toys and games. And for our listeners out there, if you have any questions at all for myself or Matt, or you'd like to see him back on another show so we could talk some more, please email me at nl at rainmagazine.com. Again, that's nl at rainmagazine.com. Matt, do you have any closing words, any words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners? Ah, just bring the fun. Just bring the fun. Love it. Thank you. And again, we release, yeah, absolutely. It was so much fun. For our listeners out there, just to remind you, we release a new show every two weeks. Make sure you like, download, and subscribe so you don't miss any of our new releases and you know, new words of wisdom, hacks, secrets from the most incredible and creative entrepreneurs around the globe. Thanks again, Matt, for joining us today. And thank you, listeners, for sharing your time with another episode of Unleash Your Supernova. This is Nova Lorraine. And again, from Rain Magazine, enjoy, be inspired, stay well. Until next time.